For at least a decade, the New York Times has been interested in Detroit. Hasn't always been pretty. Words like wasteland, phrases like American catastrophe. Hard to see that in print when they're talking about you and your hometown. But in recent years, the headlines morphed into things like the post-post-apocalyptic Detroit, ruin and renewal, and the spirit and promise of Detroit. A couple of years ago, billboards even started popping up in Brooklyn with messages like, Detroit, now hiring, and Detroit, just west of Bushwick. There are New Yorkers who are making our city their new home. Someone somewhere said Detroit is the new Brooklyn, and it's stuck. Today, we're going to find out why, because you have a friend in Detroit. Hello and welcome to You Have a Friend in Detroit. I'm your host and your friend, Jason Carr. Detroit is the new Brooklyn. Is that true? What does it even mean? And where did the comparison start? Is it because Detroit has a few hipsters wearing slouchy beanies and sipping fair trade tea? We figured if Detroit is teeming with people who moved here from Brooklyn, it shouldn't be hard to find someone to talk to. And it wasn't. Remember those New York Times headlines I was reading you at the start of the show? Here's one more from July 10th, 2015. Last stop on the L train, Detroit. The article is about creative class Brooklynites moving to the Motor City. Amy Heimerl is quoted in that piece. My name is Amy Heimerl, and I moved to Detroit four years ago from Red Hook, Brooklyn. I am currently a professor of journalism in Michigan State University and a writer for the New York Times and Fortune. My name is David Alade. I'm from South Jamaica, Queens. I moved from Brooklyn to Detroit about a year and a half ago as well to start a company called Century Partners, uh, which focuses on equitable uh, development in the city's neighborhoods. Hi, I'm Tati Amara, and I moved to Detroit a year and a half ago for a job in television, and I'm also one of Jason's cohorts. Tati is one of my co-hosts at the NBC affiliate here in Detroit. It took a leap of faith for you to come to mm -hmm. Detroit. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, of course, I had the opportunity here at WDIV, but... Detroit had also kind of like this street cred that was really important to me. I wanted to live in a city that was gritty. I wanted to live in a city that didn't feel sanitized, that there was still all kinds of interesting art being created, music, interesting food, all of the and a real sense of community, which I felt immediately here. So all of the things that I was looking for that I loved, and I had this very romantic idea of what it would be like to live in Detroit, so I went for it. In, I think it was 2012, Patti Smith got up at the 92nd Street Y in Manhattan and said, New York is done. People should be going to cities like Detroit where they can sort of invest and be a part of a community, be a part of a future, not just be a place that is sort of resting on its laurels, like go, go where you can be creative. And I think that sparked a lot of interest in New York, though New Yorkers have a way of always dreaming of living somewhere else, but never actually doing it. So it's always interesting now that I did it and I live here in, in Detroit, in the city proper, and have been here um, four years, that I meet so many people from Brooklyn who also sort of did the very un-New York thing of actually leaving New York. And I, I assume we've all come for very different reasons. Some are probably about real estate. Maybe some have family. Maybe some are just really attracted to the idea of being a part of a city that's innovating right now and being in a very mixed, diverse environment. I know that really attracted my husband and I think when people look at Detroit, 
Um, Detroit represents a lot of the reasons uh, why people moved to Brooklyn in the first place. The artistic energy, the ability to have space and time to create, the ability to be part of something uh, that's the, away from you know just your nine to five job and a more in, in, interact with your community in a more interesting way. I know that's personally you know, why I'm here in Detroit. And this is Tati. I have to agree with both of you. I think that coming here for me and just visiting Detroit a couple times and seeing like, wow, this felt like Brooklyn back in the day, like the ability to take part in a lot of arts and feeling like people are very community oriented. Um, you know, am I kind of like reliving some of the difficult things that I experienced in Brooklyn? I call it gentrification PTSD because I, I did, I, it's a joke. And I say I was exiled from Brooklyn due to high rent and I moved to Harlem. And that wasn't the case. Harlem is still technically Manhattan, northern Manhattan. And Manhattan was always considered the most expensive place to live in New York City. All of a sudden it wasn't. Brooklyn is legit the most expensive place to live. So Detroit represented an opportunity to kind of relive all of the best things in Brooklyn again. You know, but that comes with a price too. Three very distinct voices, all with the experience, the life experience of having lived in Brooklyn and Detroit. Is the Motor City the new Brooklyn? And I guess what drew you here? I thought this was a unique place because of the high degree of actually home ownership in a city where folks could actually benefit from the quote unquote gentrification and not be displaced. Uh, in New York, development happens. If you can't afford the rent, you're moving out. But if you own your home, which Detroit has one of the highest ratios of home ownership for any top 20 city in the nation, particularly for folk communities of color, having home ownership and these homes pass from generation to generation. This is a place we could come in. I started a company that buys vacant homes in historic neighborhoods. Uh, we could develop these homes. We could bring new energy and new blood into these neighborhoods and the people who would benefit long term the most were the folks who made the neighborhood special in the first place. Tati, you've been nodding your head the entire time that David's been speaking. Uh, why? A lot of what he says just resonates with me. I mean, it's particularly when he talks about home ownership here in Detroit, which is very special and people passing down homes from generation to generation. People in New York pass down apartments from generation to generation. Right. I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen this. Be like, yeah, my grandmother used to live here. And then, you know, I went away to school. My mom went down south and now I live here. So that is something that's very special and unique about Detroit. And one of the things that attracted me is it was just different. I'd never really seen anything like that. So when I was younger, I lived on the upper West Side, but then I went to high school in Brooklyn. I went to Brooklyn Tech. So that is when I fell in love with it and saw how different and interesting the borough was. And that's when my love affair with it started. So of course, when I had the chance to live there, that's exactly what I did. And then, you know, that's where I worked. That's where I went to school. That's where I went to church. That's where I mentored. That's where my friends were. That's where I lived my life. And I wish there were some kind of avenue to be able to take real ownership in it because your heart and your soul might be vested in a place. But if you don't have the dollars to keep it up and be able to remain in that place, you will be displaced. Couldn't find a place to live could, that I could afford. I was uptown like that. And New York just has a way of displacing you like that. And it happens in such a quick minute you know, literally in a New York minute. And it kind of takes, catches you off guard and can knock the wind out of you. I didn't grow up in New York and I have no Michigan ties. So mm. I grew up in a trailer in rural Colorado. I'm one of only a few cousins to graduate from high school, one of the only two in my family to ever graduate from college. So I have sort of no business being in New York at the top of the media chain and having the ability to sort of make decisions about my life because, you know, I like to say I grew up poor white trash. My dad just says we're redneck. And so I have an opportunity to apply for this fellowship at the University of Michigan 
and I take it and I get it. And then Hurricane Sandy just slams into the East Coast and destroys our neighborhood of Red, Red Hook, Brooklyn. So I was never a Brooklyn girl. I didn't care about Brooklyn. I happened to live in Brooklyn. I cared about Red Hook. Red Hook was like Detroit. It was 10 square blocks, very small. Detroit's very large, but sort of the culture, 80% African-American, a lot of poverty, but amazing, amazing culture and community. You could not walk those 10 blocks in less than an hour because you knew everybody. And so it was a really powerful place that I never thought I would live outside of those blocks again. Hurricane Sandy devastates it. We're in Ann Arbor in like the nicest place in America as our, as our people are struggling back home. And we start to think like, what are we going to do at the end of this fellowship? Do we go back to Red Hook or like the neighborhood's devastated and we've got survivor guilt and those who are a part of it, it's always going to be a demarcation line. Those that were there and those who weren't rents are rising and we already can't afford to own. And again, my husband is a computer programmer. I'm in media. We're easily making six figures, but that is middle class in New York. You can't afford to buy. And so we decide Detroit. It always kind of been this plan B at the back of my head. So now we are here. I worked for Cranes for a while. They were kind enough to give me a job and let me cover the bankruptcy. And, and uh, for the first time in my life, I'm making a home based on location, not a home based on job. So in other words, it goes beyond just a jar of pickles that says Brooklyn, Detroit on it or mm -hmm. a watch that says Brooklyn, Detroit. Yeah. And I would actually counter the Brooklyn, Detroit narrative. I don't think that's the right conversation. Um, the constant sort of comparing of Detroit to are we the new Brooklyn? Are we the new Portland or the new mm -hmm. Austin? You know what we are? We are the Detroit. We are the, you know, the home of Motown. We are the home of techno, but we are also the birthplace of mid-century American design. Like we have been the birthplace and the home of so many things and we have to own what makes us unique and special. And I think that's what pulls people here. Not this idea of like, like, oh, I can just go get Brooklyn. If people want Brooklyn and the Brooklyn brand that has now come out, they go to Brooklyn. Uh, we're, you know, Brooklyn has jobs. New York has media. So a lot of those sort of creative type jobs are centered in New York. So a lot of people will go, go there. I think people who come to Detroit are looking at saying like, I see an entrepreneurial future for myself, and I do not mean, and no disrespect to my husband, but like check shirt, like bearded, white, you know, programmer guy who's going to start some, you know, new app. Like <laughs> I'm talking about the idea of resilience and, you know, the idea of a place that is able to really build on it, build its future and take what it had and become its own place, not just become some carbon copy of some where else? Because somebody somewhere in the media, and I am media, like I write for the Times, you know, decided that we're the new Brooklyn. I get the fascination with branding Detroit as a new Brooklyn. I mean, Brooklyn is a brand. It's an international brand. Um, I think it's easy for people to understand what that means. I think people have a broader conception of Brooklyn as a place that was very cool. It was very hip, much more so than Manhattan uh, in a traditional, traditional way. And so... It's an easy connection to make, and I, and I get that. Detroit is a very different place. Um, I think Detroit is changing in a, at a very rapid cadence, just like Brooklyn, you know, changed at a very rapid cadence. I think I think Brooklyn's become a much less interesting place. I think Detroit is really in the throes of becoming. Of, it is an interesting place today, and it's becoming more interesting as I think more people are moving here. I think. Hopefully, there are more opportunities being presented to the people who've committed their lives here and have stuck through uh, some of the worst times. I think Detroit's just a fascinating uh, place from the potential of what it could be. All of a sudden, 
I came here and got very protective of it because I like it how it is, you know. And when people do make comparisons of Detroit to Brooklyn, sometimes it's not in the right ways. You know, I think that the what I was attracted to to Detroit that reminded me is a Brooklyn that doesn't even exist anymore. And I had this conversation with a friend of mine who I've known since I was 12 years old. We're like, what we're in love with doesn't even exist. It exists in our head and in our hearts. And that's okay. I'm fine with that. So sometimes, you know, uh, I was just telling a story of how I ran into a woman, um, just started chit-chatting with folks like I randomly do all over the city. And she was from the South Bronx. And we were talking about some of the changes that are happening there and how we hope Detroit doesn't change. You make a great point because we hear a lot locally in Detroit about the renaissance of downtown and, of course, the suburbs thriving to a degree. It's that middle area, the neighborhoods in the city uh, where gentrification has not happened yet, but neither has a true rescue of the neighborhood. The people are sticking together through thick and thin, trying to survive a, a cycle of poverty that's endemic. And we don't hear a lot about the neighborhoods. We hear a lot about downtown and midtown and that sort of thing. Do you have thoughts on sort of that middle area, if you look at it as a hub and a wheel on the outer, and then just the neighborhoods as the spokes? I think the greatest irony is that, you know, 94% of Detroit's population actually lives in the neighborhoods, so not in downtown and midtown. I mean, to me, you know, that's where I spend most of my time, in in Detroit's neighborhoods, Um, the housing in those neighborhoods, the people. And those are the folks who, when I was, you know, first driving around and, you know, just walking through the blocks, folks would stop me and say, you know, what's going on? What are you doing here? And coming from New York, I'm, I I retort, you know, why are you asking me? Why are you in my business? And it's a genuine concern. It's a genuine feeling of wanting to connect. Since I wrote and published my book, Detroit Hustle, I probably get three or four phone calls a week of people wanting to sit down and have coffee with me because they're interested in moving to Detroit. And it's a very interesting conversation because they're expecting me to sit there and tell them how amazing Detroit is and come and you can do whatever you want and it's a blank slate and all these great opportunities. And they get very sad when I start talking to them about the 700,000 people who've been living, loving and building their lives here already. And that if you want to come to Detroit, you should probably be somebody who really loves community and wants to be a part of that, who is somebody who likes waving to their neighbors and strangers on the street. If you come from a place where you seek more anonymity, Detroit at least right now isn't going to be that town for you because this is a place that lives or dies together. Tati, more nodding? More nodding because as as you know, I lived right in the middle of downtown when I first got here. I now live in a neighborhood. I like knowing my neighbors. I want to know who's around. I want to know about what block committee is, you know, meeting. When is that coming up? And I want to be there and I want to be a part of it. And it kind of speaks to well, what was your purpose for moving here? I was looking for a community. Downtown is great. It's zhuzhy. You can go out and have a $30 cocktail if you want to. And that's all cool. And maybe you'll drive there and enjoy that from time to time. But the lack of being able to be connected and know what's going on in in the building next to me and this and that and wanting to be able to connect with my neighbors. And I like asking my neighbor, hey, where should I go get some rock salt? There's ice on my steps. I, I like that kind of connection. That's what I was seeking. And I think it's important for when people when people come here to go out and seek those experiences. They're there. You just have to open yourself up to them. And, you know, I have experienced some people kind of being leery of new people coming in. And I don't blame them because I've experienced what they went through. It went from the place where my roots were 
fully set in to I just could not afford to live here anymore. And I know what that feels like. And I can't blame them, you know, their reticence of wanting to get too close to people because you don't know what they're up to and that sort of thing. But put yourself out there and, and try to be a part of the community that was here a long time before we came along. The question many Detroiters get when we travel around the country is, can you really buy a house in Detroit for a thousand bucks? The answer is yes. Yes, you can, but you also need to put in at least a cool hundred grand to make it more than simply livable. That thousand dollar house was dangled in front of New York artists through print and online publications. Artists who found living in New York completely unaffordable were inquiring about Detroit and its really cheap homes. Come here and you can experience our greediness and you can create artist enclaves for pennies on your East Coast dollar. But how realistic is that? Let me tell you the story of my neighborhood. I live in the West Village, which is on the east side of Detroit, but west because it's just west of Indian Village. So Indian Village is all the mansions. West Village was more working, working class, middle class. But in Detroit, that still means like 3,000 square foot brick homes because we are the city that sort of built the middle class and has more single family homes than anywhere in the country. When my husband and I bought our house, it's a 1914 Georgian Revival. We bought it five years ago. It had been vacant for a decade. Our neighbors were struggling to keep the, the lawn mowed, the, the windows boarded up, keep it safe because the slumlord owner down in Florida wouldn't do anything. So they are desperate for somebody, anybody to buy it. And then they see my husband and I on the block, and I'm pretty sure they were like, suckers, come, <laughs> come. And, and we did, and we fell in love with it. And I don't know why, no plumbing, no electrical, no heating, no nothing. Like, this was a $35,000 box. That's all. But we fell in love with the neighborhood and the neighbors. A lot of my neighbors have been in the West Village since the 1960s, 70s. Some came in in the 90s, were the new, very much the newcomers. And my neighbors mostly own and they are so glad that we're there. Five years later, when we finished renovating our house, it's now worth 300000 That's our valuation we got. Our neighbors are joyous because suddenly their properties are worth more. And if they, you know, they're no longer underwater. So as we start to see the neighborhood flip very rapidly and homes are now worth and can sell for two hundred or 300000 that suddenly changed the game of who can come in. I don't know that I could come in now. I know that when we look at the demographics of this city, you only have to earn 100000 to be in the top 1% of earners. That is ridiculous. But it also means we don't have a ton of African Americans in this city that are in that, that earning bracket comparatively. So who gets to come in? When we've got rents that have gone from 500 to 1200, who gets to come in on this next wave? So ownership really is the key. But in this one neighborhood of Detroit, the idea of who can own is already shifting. And at the same time, I argue with gentrification, we still have 132 square other miles that need infill, that need people, that need density. So is it gentrification when it's just in one neighborhood and there's still all this other space? Maybe. Is it gentrification because we're displacing poor people and, and sort of the elderly in the Capitol Park and downtown and putting them further and further away from resources to be able to access health care, things like that, when transportation is a problem? I think we have a complicated conversation around race and gentrification in the city that is not the same as New York City or Brooklyn or L.A. or Seattle because of our history of ownership, which does give more control and history of African-American ownership in the city, unlike almost anywhere else. But as that's changing, we are run the risk of that legacy also changing. And I'm very concerned about that. 
When certain neighborhoods in New York were considered crap, like Bed-Stuy, try buying a, a brownstone in Bed-Stuy right. now, but there were people there who inherited these things from their grandparents who probably cleaned other people's houses to be able to afford it, who were literally giving them away right before the neighborhood tipped. I remember that. And I, I don't know if it's as much of a concern in Detroit, but do people really know what they have in this, you know, it might be great grandmas and it's like, you know, maybe it needs some work and it feels like more of a burden than it really is or don't really realize the value that it'll have five years, 10 years down the line, or maybe even two, three years down the line if, if you know, things continue the way Amy just described where you buy a house for $35,000 and you probably put a lot of money into it, then, you know, not even five years later, it's worth 300000 I believe that a lot of the struggle Detroit's facing right now in terms of the fight for its soul, who we are, um, sort of the chip on our shoulder and sort of the distrust of newcomers is directly related to how the media, and I would actually call out the New York Times for how they have continually referenced Detroit as sort of this new Brooklyn or some other thing. And I, but I do believe that's because national papers are not writing for Detroiters. They're writing for the people in Phoenix. So they have to make people in Phoenix care about what's coming here with very thin knowledge. So they have to go through and use very sort of universal or thin examples. And that doesn't serve us well here. And we get very upset about this sort of constant narrative that honestly only puts myself and people like me and my husband, young and white, coming to Detroit at the center of the narrative and never focuses on the people, primarily African-American middle class, who stayed and have been invisible. And so I don't, you know, in some ways I would argue that, yeah, we, we are like Brooklyn in the sense that the same people keep getting overlooked here as they did in Brooklyn, but we are, we are more than Brooklyn. We are our own Detroit. I'd also argue that hipster is just the new hippie and we always need some moniker to denigrate the them. And so what really is hipster? What does it mean now? Um, in Red Hook, we often got called hipsters because we, you know, people wore car hearts and had beards. And I'm like, yeah, because they work on the docks. Like it's authentic. And so, but people don't necessarily see that. When I get media coming into town and I show them Corktown, which is supposed to be our hipster central, they're still a little like, wait, where is your cool urban, hipster, dense area. And I'm like, welcome to our two blocks. Are there really lots of Brooklyn expats living in Detroit? I mean, how many do you actually know? When I first moved to the city, there were eight other couples directly from Red Hook, Brooklyn, a 10 square block. So not even sort of greater Brooklyn. And I knew many more. Some have left, but I would say in my circle, I could probably put my number at 20. I think I know a lot of displaced Brooklynites in Detroit. So people who lived in Brooklyn and had to move to Harlem like me. So I'd say before. How many? Four. I'd say four or five, you know, in terms of people who yeah, really lived in Brooklyn. Um, I think there are more people from New York broadly I know here. So maybe that number is, you know, 15 or 20. Among the transplants that you talk to uh, regularly, uh, what's the general feel like? Yeah, we did this. We up and moved to Detroit. Uh, it used to be flyover country. Now it's like, you know, the hippest city in the world. Uh, if you believe some of the Europeans that come over, what the, are you happy with the move? I, I'm ecstatic. I'm I'm super happy. And I think you know, I don't think I moved here because I was expecting things to be very easy. Um, I didn't move here because I wanted to continue some luxurious lifestyle. Like I came here, one, um, in part due to the energy that was here um, that's cultivated over decades from people who have committed their lives for generations, and particularly in Detroit's neighborhoods. 
Um, and I moved here to, to own you know, my time and own my labor in, in a way that uh, I wasn't able to do in New York. Tell me what the question was again. I was like, Are you happy else. with the move? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it took me a while to get acclimated and really find all the little things that I love, like culture. It's like a treasure hunt, trying to find, oh, there is a Dominican restaurant. Oh, let me go to Hamtramck and have some Middle Eastern food. Oh, let's go over here. You know, I went to some crazy party, not that I'm a party girl, in some gallery that was three floors. And I was like, yeah, this I'm all about this. And being able... And I'm still in that phase. I'm still in the phase where I'm searching and seeking and trying to find all these amazing little things that you don't see in the mainstream, which is what really makes Detroit up. So I'm just I'm just enjoying the journey. What does Brooklyn have that Detroit doesn't? And what does Detroit have that Brooklyn doesn't? I'd say seamless web options. Uh, I mean, the late night dieting scene (laughs) is very tough. (laughs) It's very challenging. I mean, there's there's no... New York City, Brooklyn is the most convenient place in the world. Um, I think, you know, from a convenience perspective, from an ease of transport perspective, there's very limited public infrastructure for transit um, in Detroit. Um, I think, you know, from just the cost of of transportation. But, But so, yeah. New York, by far more convenient. They're way more, if you're, you know, if you're a foodie, they're way more dining options. I love to eat. I'm a huge eater. Um, they're more options. I think Detroit is getting more interesting restaurants. You know, it seems like every day I'm actually in the process of, of developing a restaurant myself, which I'm re- really excited about. But in terms to me, what Detroit has that New York or Brooklyn doesn't have is freedom. You know, it's, it's freedom to engage. It's not a blank slate, but there's still plenty of canvas to paint. Oh, yeah. It, it's not a, it's not a blank slate, but it's it's open. I mean, it's it's open. And I think you know, I hear the the narrative that, you know, Detroiters are resistant to new people coming in. I, I don't get that you know, personally. I get that why people would I, I think Detroiters are skeptical. There's a healthy skepticism. But I feel like I've been treated very warmly. I feel like the people here are the warmest people. Uh, the most loving people I've ever met in my life. And the freedom to engage with these people, uh, the freedom to de- to develop um, an, an economy of sorts is something that's unparalleled and definitely doesn't exist right now in Brooklyn, to this degree. So as soon as you ans- ask the question, I wanted to say high rent, but, you know, I mean, there's high rent everywhere, depending upon where you... The rent is too damn high. The rent is too damn high dot com. You know, we joke about that all the time. Um, but I, w- I definitely have to say convenience is one of them. Um, that Brooklyn has. Brooklyn has more. I mean, anything you want, any time of day, 24-7, 365, literally. And that's okay. You know, it's just a different pace of life. And this is such a good learning experience for me because that's all I really ever knew. I've only lived two places, Los Angeles, California, and New York City. This is good. I have to plan ahead a little bit. I have to think about what I'm doing a little bit more. Like when I came out and there was six inches of snow outside yesterday, I was like, Dang, I wish I could take the bus to work, but the option isn't there. Why? I like to. Well, you could. It would just take you three yeah, hours. Yeah, exactly. To go <laughs> short distance. Exactly. I notice, Amy, that you say we and us when it comes to Detroit. Do you feel like a Detroiter? I think it's an interesting conversation in Detroit about who has the right to claim Detroit as their mantle. It took me a while. I still don't know that if I technically should, there are going to be some people who may not believe that I should use it, but it feels true to me in my heart. I would say a Detroiter in progress because I know how snarky I would be when all of a sudden people would start throwing around we and us. Mm -hmm. So I just want to give 
the respect that I, I'd be like, oh, really? We're we now. Now we're, it's just all us. But I, you know, who am I? I don't, I'm not the gatekeeper for that. But I, I definitely say that about my community, about the block I live on, about the communities that, I'm um, sorry, the um, different community activities that I'm a part of. That's all we. And I think we is something that you grow into slowly and you kind of prove yourself to be we. And I'm in the process of that. For me, Detroit's home. I'm never leaving. You guys can't kick me out. <laughs> um, you know, New York is where my family is. Um, I'll, I'll always have a special place in, in my heart. But it, um, with respect to home, you know, it really is Detroit. And uh, I wouldn't say I'm a Detroit quite yet, but I, I'm working towards it. David says he's never leaving, but some New Yorkers do. Here's a postscript that proves it's not always happily ever after. We spoke to a woman whose home ownership dream came true when she moved to Detroit and bought a five-bedroom home for $30,000. My name is Sally Jane Kirshen Shepherd, and when I was 22 years old, I moved to Brooklyn to live in a crappy, mouse-infested two-bedroom apartment with a roommate. When I was 35, I was still living in a crappy, mouse-infested two-bedroom apartment with a roommate, this time in Manhattan. I knew it was time for a change, so I bought a house and moved to Detroit. The two things that no one warned me about were the car insurance and the property taxes. I'd owned a car in New York, and my insurance there was around $100 a month. In Detroit, it was $261 a month. My property taxes were about $4,000 a year, or twice the national average for a house of that value. Even though the distribution of the costs had changed, my final monthly expenses were on par with what I had been paying in New York. The real problem, however, was that I could not find a full-time job. And after three years of underemployment and rising debt, I finally had to throw in the towel. I sold my house and I moved to Oklahoma. Actually, $261 a month for car insurance is a bargain in Detroit. City residents pay the highest rates in the country. A recent study showed the average Detroit driver pays $475 a month. Something to think about before you pick up and move. Thanks for stopping by the Motor City. I'm Jason Carr.